0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Over the last few months now, we've been looking through this period of isolation at a few different things. We've taken you on a bit of a journey. We've we've looked at how we can be stuck in the middle between what we feel God's promised us um, and that moment becoming activated in our life. We looked at the new door and how to navigate those new doors when they finally do come in proximity to us. And then we looked at the new day that often follows that. And through all of this, we've seen a couple of new uh, ways of looking at life. One of them is to really understand that this moment that we're in is not just a holding pattern. We haven't just paused our life and when the timer starts again, we're back to the way it was. Our old world won't be waiting for us when we get there. The world's moved on. There's been massive leaps, even in technology and geopolitics and all sorts of things in the season that we've been locked away. So it will be a new world that we're walking into. This is an irreversible disruption. This is an opportunity. And you can look at these times negatively or positively. And obviously with the kingdom, the kingdom is always advancing. The kingdom is always ready to take advantage of, an, of a, a, a situation such as this, or even a lot darker as history's often thrown up, and use it as a tipping point. For something brand new, a new way of seeing life, a new way of um, moving the gospel forward. And we've been using Acts 2 quite frequently as a a way to crystallize this idea of a new door, a new life, a new way to see life. And it's an irreversible door. Once you walk through one of God's doors, that's it. The door's sort of closed. There's no way back through it. It's, It's like it disappears again. We're in this new life now. And particularly, we're finding that this is going to present with us a new perspective. On people, And we have mentioned this a few times, but I want to drill down this just a little bit more today in a new way and just look at the optimism about what this moment in time presents us in our own sort of micro evolution as a church or as a society and how we can really embrace what God's presented before us. But in Acts chapter 2, we can see that with the coming of the Spirit, that human beings were now regarded as the temple of God. Huge change in mindset. The temple was the temple, it was the place. And now with Acts, they're saying, now you are the temple. It's not a place, it's a people. And we need a reminder too, because we can think, well, our church buildings on Sundays, they're a temple, but they're not, you're the temple. The, The temple are God's people. And you start to see this fleshed out remarkably in some of the scriptures, particularly those of Paul. Let's have a listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And he's talking in the context of relating it to sexual sin. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He's saying you're no longer merely of this earth. You're no longer merely dust. You're dust and breath now. You become the temple. And we're not just a mammal uh, with a high IQ. We're not just like every other animal that somehow evolved to become smarter than the rest. No, this is fundamentally different. We are eternal. We are valuable. We are empowered by grace and we are commissioned with all of that in mind to advance the kingdom. And so Paul is saying in that scripture particularly, let your physical life honour God by prioritising this new commission, by prioritising the fact that we are God's temple. He goes on in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14, just a wonderful passage. He says, and it's almost like in the context of because of all this, he's saying, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And now get this comment. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. His summary there, Christ died and therefore so did we, to an old way of life, to an old perspective, to an old reality. And and then therefore, our view of people fundamentally changes and we don't view them anymore from the perspective that we did before. He says we no longer view them from a worldly point of view. And what does that mean? Essentially, the word is the same word that he uses for flesh, as in living from the flesh. He says that we no longer view people from just a material uh, point of view. And... He's saying we no longer view people as just objects. They're not just um, a physical thing. They're they're a spiritual thing. And we can look upon them in a spiritual reality. They're no longer just an asset. They're not a means to an end. Because if we look at people from a worldly point of view, then things like uh, sex has no consequence. It's just a physical act. Or people's soul has little value. We begin to see each other on an asset register. They're an asset to us or a liability and we value them accordingly. Are they gonna help my agenda or are they gonna hinder my agenda? Because that's gonna determine the way I begin to look at people. And so we, our value from a worldly point of view is to assess people based on things like their position in life, we treat them differently if they've got a different position, uh, their beauty or their appearance, um, their possessions because that adds, adds credibility in Western eyes, their race or religion as we've seen in, in recent days, or it might be things like their IQ, their intelligence, or their level of influence. We rate people, we compare people, and we treat them differently from a worldly point of view. And Paul's saying, that's out now, that's done. There is no scale in the kingdom. And this becomes incredibly significant for us in a Western, particularly a Western mindset. And maybe I should use a different term, a relationally cold worldview. Because there's a sociological... uh, Understanding that talks about hot relational cultures, cold relational cultures. And a hot relational culture means that people congregate, they like to be together, they're, they're warm with each other, they find themselves in the context of others. Whereas a cold relational climate finds themselves in relation to comparison and scales and identity is individual. And so you'll see that uh, a hot relational culture would be South America, uh, Africa, India and so on, where you see community is huge. But a cold relational climate will be like the United Kingdom, uh, the USA, Australia, South Africa. We are cold relational climates. We're the sort of places where you drive in the driveway and obviously the door goes up and the door goes down. You might see your neighbours regularly once every six months, you know, but it's, it's not a climate where we normally gravitate as a majority out into the streets just to hang out with the people around us. And those sort of cultures bring with it different priorities and I just want to tease that out a little bit and you can begin to see why this season is so significant in what God's doing to us socially. See, if I'm in a hot climate, if I'm speaking and communicating with someone, what those people need is that which makes them feel encouraged and good and positive. It's it's more about a sensing aspect. But in a cold climate, speaking and communications, they want us to get to the point. And so speakers who give bullet points uh, are listened to more often than those who just ramble on uh, and give bland encouragement and so on. The identity in a hot climate will be found in the group, in the tribe. uh, The jersey goes on and the the community comes together. That's how I determine who I am, whereas in a cold climate, our identity is essentially found alone, in isolation. We're individualistic in that way. Uh, In a hot climate, people are more important than efficiency, whereas in a cold relational climate, efficiency is more important than people. We don't say uh, the other things aren't important. It's just the priority of those things. In a hot relational climate, it's much more event oriented Let's find a reason to get people together. I was speaking with a Brazilian just the other day, talking about the carnival and how for a whole week, it's like the whole nation uh, will shut down in South America there just to party, just to be together and do community. Australians tend to not, not function that way. We're more results oriented. We see things in a different way. In a hot relational climate, the the motivators and the questions that will go on uh, quietly inside people's heads will be, be, um, uh, what opportunities are there for me at hand? What what does life present me right now? Um, Who can I enjoy life with? Whereas in our climate, the cold relational climate, the motivators and the questions that we want to have answered all the time are, how far can I get? It's almost like, how high can I go on the scale? And how much time have I got left? We view these things in this sort of X, Y scale of of time left and things achieved. And so cold climates like ours more easily objectify people. It's viewing people from a worldly point of view as far as scripture defines it. Our culture values performance more than it does people. And so we emphasise and reward that. And people who are good at that tend to go further up the scales. And so there's results for that. There's trajectories that that begins to form in our life. And globally, you can start to see some quite incredible things happening, particularly in, uh, in Southeast Asia, where we see there's a whole generation that's now uh, coming through, and there's a very firm potential that uh, the majority of those people will not have a functional relationship or a genuine face-to-face relationship with someone of the opposite sex in their whole life. Relationships have gone virtual. Relationships have gone mechanical. It's, a, it's an incredibly distressing dynamic where people are getting busier and busier more and more isolated. And so we tend to isolate more than we will congregate. We'll find in our own mind, we'll critique content more than seek to contribute to people's lives. Even on Sunday at church, we might flick between multiple churches and see who's got the best topic today, rather than look to how we can work things through together and find a way to get people in the room. We forget that God's filling our hearts to fuel our mission. He's, he's building us up to send us out, hence Paul's word that Christ's love compels us and so again into that setting Jesus comes and says what we've been talking about a lot over recent weeks he says the time has come the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news he's saying the kingdom hits a total reset on the way we see each other there's a whole new perspective here people aren't anymore to be seen as the problem in our life the thing that gets in the way or the asset register that we run no they are the prize they are the whole point people aren't Uh, something that can either add or subtract. No, they are life. They're the reason that that motivates us to live and to do it. They determine what it is that we do. They're the reason that we live. And so I wonder how you see the people around you. Is this a moment where we actually just need to not just uh, stop from getting together, but just stop and be prepared to hit a reset on our perspective and the way we're seeing the people around us? Do I still value people more than I value my own time? my own agenda? Or do I get frustrated when they seem to get in the way? Have they become more of the problem than the prize? Do I still have a heart to reach out and to invite them into my home? Do I, not, do I want to listen to people's story anymore? Do I want to, Am I compelled, as Paul says, to buy love to share my faith? Is that really driving us? And when we consider these things, it's a moment to reflect, it's a genuine time to say, hang on, functioning for the kingdom is not necessarily the right form. We need to not just do, we're supposed to be, and we only find being in the context of other people. And so I'd just like us to be now reflecting on this wonderful song that the team's put together, just to say, I think perhaps maybe I need to stop and hit a reset on the way I see people. So let's sit back and let this song just be sung over us and lead us into a moment of just gentle repentance now.
1: Carried a burden For too long on own. I wasn't created To bear it alone I hear your invitation To let it all go Cause I see you now i mm-hmm. that kind of love surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again, I run to the Father, fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait, my heart needs a surgeon, my soul.
0: The great thing about godly repentance is that it leads us somewhere. It doesn't leave us in grief, it leads us to belief. Jesus said, repent and believe. It leads us to new possibilities, to new doors and new things that can open because we're putting away or turning away from one thing but we're turning to something else. And God is the God of possibilities and, and Acts 2 presents us with that whole picture of a new perspective on what's possible based on what is the new value. And when you begin to value people, the perspective on what's possible in life and what should be pursued becomes different too, and God loves to present us with these forks in the road, and, and uh, we get we get tied up. We think it's got to be my way, or it's got to be someone else's way. We have this binary way of looking at things, and. How many times have you seen, uh, for example, a real disaster come upon your life? Things have been really hard, but out of that hardship, that's presented you with sort of a fork in the road. You've chosen a way that's God's way. You've chosen to put down your own agenda and pick up God's. And out of that, He's revealed a whole new potential, a whole new opportunity that actually couldn't have been present unless that disaster had happened, that blockage or that problem had. If you hadn't had that. This would never have come through. But but to get there, we've had to go through this moment of a change of mind. And you realize that, you know, without things going this way, this miracle that I've just experienced would never have been. So often in business and in ministry, I've, I've seen what I thought was a train wreck become the very thing that catalyzed the next upgrade through life. And you see that without the trial, access to that upgrade would not have been possible. And so God loves to present these forks in the road to us. And what I love about the Lord is that He creates a third way. We think it's either going to be this way or it's going to be that way. But God says, hang on, I've got a third way here that involves my grace. It involves my ability to create something miraculous out of what you thought was a disaster. And I just believe even today as we're watching, there are people who are forced with a situation. And you think, I just see a train wreck that way. I see a train wreck that way. But God says, hang on, there is another way. There's a third way. What if I got involved? What if my grace came and changed everything? Would you be prepared to lay down your own agenda to see something that's brand new? And this is happening in the church and the world globally now when when we come to this perspective on how we see people. We think there's only two options here in the church world. It's like we join together on Sunday or we stay at home and and wrap ourselves in our blanket and just watch passively. It's a classic cold climate response. But God's providing a new way. Uh, He's compelling us to find this third way, and the third way opens up possibilities uh, only when we begin to see people differently. See, if my logic begins with the value of people, not my own individual preference, then there's a whole other opportunity that's been presented and you may not have seen it yet. Let me illustrate it this way. once upon a time, many, many years ago in a galaxy far, far away, Trish and I were between churches. It was about 20 years ago. And, and I'd been a little bit frustrated. We couldn't find where we should be fellowshiping, and so on. So we found ourselves with nowhere to go for a little while. And um, But we had some friends, some, some unbelieving friends. They were fiercely uh, non-Christian, if I can put it that way. And we'd had them for years. And we just loved just doing life with these guys. And so we found ourselves on Sundays, now with all this extra time, we would just say, let's go to the park and kick the ball around and play with the kids and, and have some sausages on bread or whatever we have to do. And so we started doing that and we were just having a ball with this extra time. But then one day, one of the people there just put a beer in front of me and a Bible of all things. He dug out from a dusty old box in the shed. He said, there you go, Pat, you're the, you're the Bible person here. Teach us something from the Bible. And uh, and I opened up wherever it was going to open up and it was 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the uh, chapter on every part having value. And I just spoke into that to a, a bunch of non-Christians about what it means uh, for the real church to operate, that everyone is valuable. Everybody plays their part. We're not homogenous in the way we do things. And the amazing thing was within two or three weeks of us starting to do that routine, they all became Christians. They all gave their heart to Christ. They started praying even before they'd done that. It was an amazing journey. We saw them all get saved in the, literally in the park, so to speak. And, uh, and that really compelled us then. We needed to find a church where these guys can gather with, with more believers so they can play their part in the greater body. And we'd found that this, uh, what we thought was like a crisis of church world had turned into real church world, where people started to be able to take that journey in the context of just uh, community without an agenda. And I would never have enjoyed that moment, that season, unless there was a circuit breaker. And so now the whole world's experiencing this circuit breaker. And we all feel the discomfort of that. We all feel like we'd love to get back together again soon. And that time will come. But in the meantime, now we have an opportunity to connect differently, to stretch ourselves just a little and do what normally our our cold climate mindset wouldn't lead us to do. And so we've obviously started uh, what we're calling house churches uh, all throughout the city at the moment. And some people are meeting there and and it's encouraging. It's just wonderful. I love it. We're doing it again at at, at our house. The Hegartys, we have two running, so we run them week about with different people who predominantly um, aren't in a small group or something like that. So we're just having an absolute ball with that. Uh, some, some groups have not let me know. They're meeting sort of undercover. I know why we do that. It's just so Pat won't send even more people there. We want to enjoy some fellowship. That's okay. The main thing is that we get people together in, in small groups, twos or threes or you know, tens and twelves, whatever works in your house and your setting. And uh, I'm just loving the idea that that's happening out there. But I guess I do concern as a pastor that, that some of us haven't got there yet and we're, and we're still just watching in isolation. And, uh, but we just need to understand that in our cold climate, this is actually the moment. See, most Australians won't ever want to turn up in a church building with, a, with 100 believers singing songs they've never heard of and in a context they don't understand. But they'll come to a barbecue on a Sunday. They'll come and, and have a chat. They'll come and talk about things like, what's the Christian perspective on, on this issue or that issue? And they'll love to just begin to unwrap that. That's the Australian way. And so at the moment, that's the opportunity we've got. It's a circuit breaker that would probably never have come upon us in a way that wasn't comfortable, um, uncomfortable, I beg your pardon. And so in this moment, I think let's seize that opportunity. Um, and this, these house churches and these gatherings, whether you want to do it our way or do it your own way, they won't replace the larger gatherings. One day we'll get back together but I'd love it to become just an ongoing way where we give ourselves permission to uh, come together in large groups, but let's be missional because our mantra as a church is we're filling hearts to fuel mission. How better is, are we going to have it to fuel mission than on a Sunday when we have no other option but to do it in our house in a way that Australians can really do it? Because Christianity's never been a spectator sport. And so this isn't the moment to uh, come back into that sort of space. God's given us a radical new way to live. It's it's exciting, it's challenging, it's it's uncomfortable, but it's fantastic. And the thing about it is God's kingdom is a package deal. You can't just take the promises of blessing. You can't just take all the things that suit us and try to retrofit them into uh, an existing worldview. It goes with people. It goes with a heart compelled by love and so on. And the Christian way, this new way, is full of paradoxes. Things like the river of God's presence, His grace gets deeper the further out into the world that we go. It's not constrained to His gatherings of people. Um, His powerful grace can change the world, but in the end of the day, it's me He wants to change, and then I take that out. He lifts up those who are humbled. It's a paradox. So much of it doesn't make sense. To gain your life, you have to lose it. Um, And in a time of restriction, it's now a time to break out. Here's our new paradox. In a time where the world's telling us to close down, where we can't get together, he's saying, no, now is the time to actually reach out in a whole other way, in a third option. So let me finish in the way I started, using Paul's own words. He says, so from now on, regard people no longer from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Let's pray together. Father, I pray you'd give us vision, your vision for people, that we'd see them as you see them. Change our worldview, change our perspective, change the way we see possibilities. And Father, may we be sent as a blessing into this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy your group content that you can get online, and I'll see you next week.